At LensCrafters, we value expertly tailored eye care, provide state-of-the-art eye exams, offer a wide assortment of designer brands and high-quality lenses, because everything we do at LensCrafters is for every sight that makes your life special. We offer 50% off lenses with frame purchase, shop in-store and online. Book your annual eye exam now on LensCrafters.com. LensCrafters, because sight. Eye exams are available at the Independent Doctor of Optometry at or next to LensCrafters. Doctors in some states are employed by LensCrafters. Offer valid to April 2nd, 2023. See associate for details. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in. Richard Ryerson here, another Equity Bank-sponsored episode here on Dose of Leadership. Dallas Script is the guest. He's the president of Benefit Management, LLC. It was fun talking to Dallas. I sat down with him face-to-face. That's one of the reasons I like doing these equity bank. For the most part, they are face-to-face in the studio that we have in downtown Wichita. And I was anxious to talk to him. Um, And it was funny because I think Dallas thought, well, what are we going to do talking about uh, his business? Because when you look at his business, the third-party administrators for um, providing customized high-quality health benefits administration. And I'm like, what? What is that? And he's thinking, well, what value could that add? Well, I'm not really here to talk about his business. I'm here to talk about his journey, as as people soon learn as they sit down with me and talk. I'm fascinated by every everybody's story. And uh, Dallas didn't disappoint with his. Growing up or coming out of college or going into college, rather, he wanted to be, uh, he thought, uh, coaching football. He loves football, passionate about it. Then he kind of drifted into journalism when the football thing wasn't panning out, and then he realized uh, maybe being a sports journalist wasn't going to pan out either, and he eventually found himself as a consultant and eventually the president of the company uh, found an opportunity that presented himself. And I really love Dallas again, the indomitable spirit. You hear me talk about it time and time again. I know it sounds like a broken record, but it is the secret sauce. You hear me say it time and time time again, the secrets to success. Not even that, a secret to a significant life. Uh, That is the answer. It's to add value. It's to make the place better than you found it. I like to say make the campsite better than you found it. It's constantly improving yourself. It's being self-aware, having that self-awareness improving on yourself, playing in your strength zone, not necessarily trying to fix all your weaknesses, augmenting the weaknesses by surrounding yourself by people better than you, sacrificing or being selfless in your leadership journey. Dallas has all that, and you'll hear about it in this story. It's a really fun conversation, ethereal almost, when we talk about mindset. We talk about the recipes for leading a significant life. A lot of great nuggets, and Dallas is a great example of what we try to promote here on Dose of Leadership, and I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Again, brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. It's been an honor to have them sponsor this show for over a year. It continues to garner support and uh, rave reviews here, local, particularly locally here, and uh, I'm proud to have them as a sponsor. But again, even if you're not here locally and you're listening to this show, uh, Equity Bank Uh, is a great partner with those of leadership because they completely understand what it takes to start to grow a business, what it takes and start, what it takes to be a leader. 
not only in life, but in business. And it's been exciting to watch Equity Bank grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They got locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. They're listed on the NASDAQ exchange. They're clearly a team that knows how to lead for growth. And so if you feel like your current bank isn't cutting it, if you feel like they're more of a follower than a leader, that they don't understand what it means, if, if you're starting your own business, if you're on your own and you're trying to make something of it, go check my friends at Equity Bank. Work with a bank that really understands your needs. Check them out at equitybank.com. All right, thanks for listening. Now let's join our conversation with Dallas Script, the president at Benefit Management LLC, here on Dose of Leadership. Dallas, thanks for coming on the show. Pleasure to meet you, my friend. Happy to be here. Hey, I'm looking at your background I'm guessing your dream was probably sports-related at some point, was it? That's a fair assessment at one point <laughs> in my life. Tell me about that. What, what did you? What was the dream as you were going through college or even high school? Well, I was never uh, super gifted athletically, and I always felt like I was fairly cerebral at understanding my situation, honestly, uh, even from a young age. So I knew I wasn't going to play in the NFL, um, and I knew I couldn't play big-time Division One football. And although I respect anyone who plays Division Two or NAIA or Division Three, that was never going to be in the cards for me long-term. So I was I was ready uh, to move on with my life and uh, had a passion for football, understood the game well, knew I had a lot to learn, and uh, wanted, to, wanted to coach uh, big-time college football. So that's kind of what I set out to do. And uh, the fun part of life is we don't know where it's going to take us. It that's didn't right. take me there, but uh, I think I ended up okay. But you you went there, right? You were an intern at Ohio State. Is that right? And the co- What is that? I don't even know. I'm, I'm naive to this world. I didn't realize that they bring in intern coaches. Yeah, so there's a lot of rules with regards to the NCAA and not wanting to violate any compliance issues. Um, that I believe uh, Coach Jim Tressel, who I worked under uh, for three years as a uh, student coaching intern, uh, created this internship program for folks that, that wanted to be involved with the program, wanted to, to learn, and also wanted to uh, enter in a career of coaching. A number of the folks I work with are actually still involved in coaching or involved with football uh, at a high level um, in various uh, avenues, but... Um, so we did that, and uh, we weren't we weren't technically coaches with regards to on the field, but uh, we did a lot of the behind the scenes work, and we're very heavily involved. And so, how did that play out? And it's because eventually, you did that for a little bit, and then eventually you found yourself in Great Bend, Kansas. But so, how did what is that transition? Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot there's a lot of transition in there actually. So I set out to do that. Uh, graduated college, and then. Uh, looked the typical steps for a coach is graduate assistant positions. So uh, I had an opportunity to go to, to Helena, Montana. I may not be pronouncing that right, but Montana, I'd never <laughs> right. been there. Or I could go to uh, Baldwin City, Kansas at Baker University, another state I had not ventured to at that time. And uh, I chose to go to, to Baker University for, for a couple of reasons. One, it was a program that uh, had a long way to go, and I liked the challenge. So uh, Carroll College in Montana was at the top, coming off a national championship. I could have joined that staff and kind of ran their defensive line, and uh, that would have been fun. But uh, at the same time, I'd rather go to the program that's sitting on three or four wins, and that's build it up. That's kind of my mentality. The growth is where I, I find the joy. So I looked at that, and they also uh, provided me postgraduate uh, education. And uh, so took advantage of that, spent 18 months there, got my master's degree, coached, and then and then decided, um, 
you know, coaching long-term probably wasn't going to be for me. Uh, I knew that. It wasn't Why? the game. How did you know that? Why was it? Well, it, was, it wasn't the game, but it was the stuff that came along with the game. So, again, I try to be very cerebral, and I, I try to learn from others who have been successful. And I kind of looked at the folks I knew in coaching who were successful, and most of them were were uh, had unique home environments. So either they were distant from their families, uh, the ones that were still married, um, they were distant. And um, the other ones that uh, may have been on marriage three, four, and five. And it really wasn't something that I was really looking looking for. Big time college football is very difficult on the family, uh, as it should be. Well, I don't know. Should be is the wrong word. But um, ultimately, it yeah. is because of the demands of the job. Yeah, there's no other option, right? I mean, and, somebody has to sacrifice, and it's usually going to be the family, right? The demands and the stakes are just too high. The money's high, the stakes are high, and uh, recruiting never ends. And uh, you got to get the Jimmys and the Joes, and and then you can take care of the X's and the O's. <laughs> I love that. Get the Jimmys and the Joes, so you get the X's and the O's. So are you married at this time? Do you got a significant other at this time? W- w- what's going on with your personal life? At this time in my life, uh, I actually um, I moved to Great Bend and, and started working in the newspaper business. Uh, my my undergraduate degree is in journalism. I always felt like if I needed to get a degree in something, uh, I'll do it in something I could stay close to sports. So mm-hmm. I did that. Uh, I did meet a girl in Western Kansas uh, as well. So that that helped that process along, but uh, stayed there, ran kind of the sports department of the newspaper for, for three years. I, I, I love that. Um, I empathize with that. I could see how that would be pulling you. I, I remember going when I was in uh, going through flight school in the Marine Corps and I was newly married, and I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I can deal with all these deployments and this this lifestyle and everything else. It was really tugging at me, right? And so I, I can see and empathize with you. is like, okay, you're doing something. You're going down this path thinking, oh, my gosh, how am I going to – this is what I thought was my lifelong dream. Now you've hit a fork in the road. This maybe isn't really for me. I commend you for, for pulling the trigger because it sounds like because of, of uh, family and, and relationship reasons, right? Yeah. And I, that was I, the primary reason? It was primary reason. And I, I knew what I was envisioning in life and I didn't see that I could have it all. Yeah. Uh, that it was going to be a challenge and probably unattainable. And I don't fear change in life. Yeah. Um, so I was more than willing uh, to take that kind of leap and, and change career paths, even though it's kind of laughable now what I was making back then coaching. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but made that change and, and was happy with it and never really looked back. Uh, I'm not a regrets guy. Oh, that's that's important, I think. That was one that's something I've always kind of struggled with is like, you know, dealing with the regrets. And sometimes on these big life changes, when you're faced with these major decisions, I'm always worried that I'm gonna make it one that I'm gonna regret. But I've come a long way with that. But it's great that at that young age you're like, Okay, this is where it's going, I'm gonna pull the trigger and go forward. Yeah, right? That's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, I'm a believer. You kind of make the decision and then you got to go make the best out of it. And that's a choice. So uh, I choose, I'm going to choose to be successful. And I I truly believe that. And uh, whether I, whatever your definition of success is or mine, one thing I can promise you is people were typically close to expectations. So when we set those, we're going to be close. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. And so you're making the decision to like, okay, I'm, I'm in there. I'm getting the newspaper business. I'm still surrounded by sports. How in the world did that lead to being the president of the company you're at now. Well, that's another heck of a leap in there, and there's a lot. Of, there's a big story there. But ultimately, uh, what took place is I had a, a acquaintance uh, who's turned into a friend, but ultimately said, "Hey, you have the gift of gab," which <laughs> you know uh, 
we'll we'll ask the the audience after this, right? <laughs> right. Whether that's true or not. But uh, but a friend of mine, Mike Mitten, came to me and he said, "Hey, if you're thinking about getting out of the newspaper business, you want to make a little more money. Uh, why don't you sit down and come talk to me?" Um, I like talking to people. I respected Mike. Uh, Mike was a successful guy at that time. So I sat down with him and, and, and began to learn a little bit more about uh, the third-party administration business and self-funded health plans. And again, knew nothing, couldn't spell self-funding at the time. And I uh, sat down with him. He kind of educated me. And I said, hey, that's, uh, you know, I think I could do this. I could take a run at it. I don't lack confidence in life. And I figure I can I can do any pretty much anything within reason. And uh, so I took a pay cut out of the newspaper business, which is hard to believe, which, you know, uh, but that, that was kind of the mentality at that time. So I took a pay cut to get into this, uh, this business from a sales perspective. And then over a 10-year period, um, hold, held many positions. Um, learned the business, basically every aspect of it, right? Learned the business, became an owner in the business, was a minority shareholder for a period of time, participated in the sell of that to a um, private equity firm. Um, and then uh, had the opportunity to to kind of lead the sales on a national basis, did that. Um, in a lot of regards from a sales perspective and the, the portion of the company I was in, uh, I really had kind of achieved everything I was looking for in a lot of regards. And what what, and what was it you were looking for? I'm, I'm curious about this because we're all as individuals, particularly we're, we're making our way through life and kind of going to making these decisions and pivots and changes. What are the... Uh, the itches that you were scratching. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's simple. So I, I believe everybody, uh, when they go to work, we all go to work to get paid, um, which is a given, but money's a short-term yeah. motivator. Right. So for me, it's always something else. So what mm-hmm. else gets you up in the morning and makes you want to come to work right. with passion? And mine was growth. So I really enjoy the process of taking something that's either obscure and then and then turning it into something that is on the radar. And it was perfect. Uh, we're a company in Great Bend, Kansas. Um, I could step into that and really, if I could uh, ruffle the feathers of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kansas uh, or Aetna or United Healthcare, uh, that's what gets me going in the morning, all while I'm making sure that the other 95 to 105 employees that we have uh, were secure with the job and could know that they could come to work every day and, and not have to worry about finding work. So that, that helped me quite a bit. I love that answer. And I think it's a, it's an important distinction to, to spend a little time on because particularly as I see young adults, um, get themselves out in the world, everybody wants to be part of something. They, they want to do something significant, right? I mean, whether they admit it or not, we're all here. We want to leave a mark. I mean, if we, if we look at our own internal makeup, we want to know that we were here and we made a difference, right? A lot of times, though, I think we get lost based on popular culture, expectations of family members, of parents. We go for the shiny object or the title or what makes the most money, right? You didn't say that. You said it's about, look, I want to, I want to be part of something that's, that I know that I can make a, a significant impact for growth, right? I want to take something that's small and that competitive spirit that you're talking about, that intensity, that indomitable spirit that's ingrained in you. I don't know how you got it. You seem to have had it your whole life, but you're going to take an impact and do something small and make something bigger, the growth piece of it. That's different than changing or chasing a title. I'm going to be an attorney. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer, right? Or Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. So I'm, I'm, there's, 
again, I think it's really important for people to to understand themselves. And what, mm-hmm. football, we call it self scout, right? We always self scouted ourselves after every game because we wanted to see what what our opponents were going to see on film. And a lot of that philosophy I kind of take into everyday life. I think if you're honest with yourself from a strengths weaknesses part as well as what from a motivational part. Uh, I totally understand where someone's desk is located can motivate them. And that could be an important thing in some people's life. I could care less. I always said, hey, you could call me the janitor and put my desk on the roof as long as my duties didn't change. And I, and that that's what it was about for me. So uh, I needed to get myself in a position that was going to allow me to be uh, successful and feel fulfilled. And that's what I was able to do within a sales role where I was selling from a corporate structure. Now, if I was out selling cars, I'm not sure I would have the same fulfillment with regards to that. I might. I've never tried it. But at the same time, um, I believe I could be successful either. But I was fortunate enough to be be in a situation where I was able to uh, to achieve what I wanted to achieve. Well, you said something critical is, is the power of the self-awareness piece, which is so critical in a leadership journey, in any journey. You have to know who you are and what you're good at and what you're not so good at. Less, I'm less concerned about what you're not good at, but I think you definitely need to know what you're very good at and you need to know what lane you're in. And I think to start out anyway, at least to get going, I mean, it can change and pivot as you go. But find out what that strength lane is and pour all your love, at least 80% of your love and attention to that strength lane, right? And and be less concerned about the things you're not so good at, right? You can still work on them, but I'm a big bet on your strengths guy. What do you think when you hear that? Yeah, I think that's the way that you do it. I mean, once you identify where you can be successful, I think you try to maximize that. And ultimately, it's a natural progression as a human, right? So we're working towards towards what we would view as joy or where we find enjoyment. Well, if you're cerebral enough to understand where you're successful and you understand what you're working towards and what makes you tick, um, then it's naturally going to take place for you. Right. You're going to get there. So I think if you focus from that perspective, um, you know, I think that another piece is don't force it. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, expand on that. I think I know where you're going with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big believer in in letting things happen at their own pace, but being prepared for opportunity. Yes. So uh, I I speak to a number of of folks, especially younger employees or or people in the sales roles that that are eager and want to get out there and they want to make six figures tomorrow. And I think that's a novel goal, but I tell them you got to find another goal. Mm -hmm. The money takes care of itself. Don't focus on the money. Don't worry about it. The money will always take care of itself, especially in the sales role. So my whole thing is, Become a subject matter expert. Be great at something. That's a, that's a dedication. That's a choice. Become great at it. You've now created value either to a company, to a competitor, to something. You're always going to have options if you're great at something. Be great at something and then allow things to take care of themselves. So don't force things to happen. Let them happen. Be prepared to jump on opportunity. I knew that's where you're going with it, and I couldn't agree more. I think it's so critical. I mean, I know I've made that mistake early on in my career. I was chasing. I wanted it to happen. I want it to happen now. I mean, I think there's a, a part of that being in your 20s and your late teens is you're so eager to get to that level, whatever that level is, because you define success that way. I think that's the wrong way, and you said it perfectly. Well, you need to find another goal. That will get there, right? And, and what you're going with is instead of, instead of focusing on this – monetary title position, good parking spot, corner office, whatever, focus on being great at something so that you can add value because it is about adding value. When you become an expert and and you become, you know, so valuable to the organization or to whatever, I mean, that's where all the opportunities start to to open up for you, right? That's exactly right. I I call it uh, 
be wanting to be the man syndrome, which is the mistake <laughs> that a lot of people yeah. make. Uh, especially, if I used to have this conversation with my football players and uh, and my stepson that uh, everybody wants to be the man at, at some point in their life, and what they miss is is the journey part, right? Mm-hmm. The work that kind of goes into being successful. And then if you do the work and you're honest about it and you become an expert at something, frankly, at some point in that process, you don't care about being the guy anymore and you right. don't care about the That's stuff. Right. And then the stuff just kind of comes to you. And then also you come to a quick realization that it doesn't matter. So it's nice to have and you get a better burger is kind of a good way that my <laughs> wife and I talk about it. Yeah. Success, you just have a better burger. Uh, but at the end of the day um, – you're not so worried about that. You're, you've set yourself up in a situation where you can provide value in a lot of different ways, and you've also proven to yourself uh, that you, you can be successful. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. I love how you laid that out because you're absolutely right. The stuff that you were so worried about naturally kind of fades in the background. You realize it wasn't all that important. But adding value, once you realize that the goal to influence is adding value, um, then leadership is attainable by all. Success is attainable by all, right? And you start to kind of fulfill what I consider your obligation, what the universe has tasked you to do, right? Yeah, and I, I love to use the term the universe because I actually use that all, all the time. So I, I kind of view the universe as kind of is the way that it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, and, and our job as people is to make the best out of each one of those situations. And we're going to make poor decisions and that's perfectly fine. We just try to make the right one the next time. And then if we kind of come to a place of acceptance, we're not we're not living in the past. We're not living in the future. We're kind of situating ourselves in a present kind of mindset where we're able to focus in and make those best decisions as we move forward. And I think that allows us as people to appreciate the process of it. You know, I always say the the thing I enjoy the most when I wake up in the morning is I don't know what's going to happen today. Well, that creates anxiety for probably 80% of the population, the fact that they don't have control. Well, I've come to the realization I don't really need it. Yeah. I'm fine without control, and it's an illusion anyway. So if you That's need right. it, you're, you're fighting yourself. Oh, that gives me chills because, I mean, that certainly describes the journey that I took, particularly the last 15 years where I've come to this acceptance of like, look, I was either living uh, – the fear and uncertainty is never going to go away. I can't really control. Control it, but I don't look at fear. I don't even like to call it fear and uncertainty anymore because it has such a negative connotation to it. But it is this acceptance, if you will, that all I have, and you just stated this, 
all we have is this present moment. That's all I have. I don't have what happened, you know, what happened a minute ago doesn't even exist anymore. It's a fantasy. And same a minute from now doesn't exist either. All I have is this moment right in here, right now with you. That's all I have. And it sounds, I know, kind of um, monkish or gurish or whatever you want to call it or life affirming, but it's the truth, right? And and so that's when you accept it like you did, uh, it is an illusion to think that you do have control. The only thing you can control is your reaction to this moment and what you can, what you choose to do and how to react at, the, at, at this any given moment, right? Yeah, and that, and that choice in, is important. I think you kind of ducktail that with the fact that, you know, very few things in life are catastrophic, obviously death, uh, but very few things besides death are catastrophic. So uh, you can make those bad decisions. It, it's okay. You will survive mm-hmm. that. And there's got to be a level of confidence that you, you are able to develop to to handle that. And this is a process. I think that's another important thing to remember. You know, when I came out of college at 22 years old and was moving to Kansas uh, for the first time and didn't know where I was going, uh, you know, I wasn't, I had, didn't lack fear, didn't lack confidence. But at the end of the day, um, my views of, of the universe or society today is not where they were when I was 22 right. by any means. So uh, it's a process to kind of get there and figure out what worked for me. And, and hopefully it works for others. But if it doesn't, figure that out. What's going to work for you and kind of get you going every day and, and to approach, you know, life with passion. It almost seems like, too, that when you accept what you what we're talking about here, it, the natural progression is it really is. Um, uh, how do I phrase this? It's it's more of a selfless philosophy, right? And and what I mean by that is is when you're in a selfish mindset, you're chasing all these buckets, right? You want to be do something significant. You want to make a certain amount of money. You want to have the house on the hill. You want to have the certain whatever. Whatever you define success, but then as as you we adopt what we're talking about, it becomes less about success and it becomes more about significance. Because leading a significant life is completely different than leading a successful life. Because success is, as you said, is arbitrary. It's different between each and one of us. But we start talking about significance. You and I would probably have, and almost everybody starts. You start seeing some common themes, right? Yeah, um, I think that's that's what it's about. Um, in a lot of regards, is is the impact we can make on other people's lives. Exactly. You know, and, and that's what I meant about the selfless piece, right? It becomes less about you. And when you focus that intention on somebody else and add value to somebody else, all those buckets that you were chasing the other way, they start to become exponentially filled, right? It, it does. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting concept um, for people to adopt. So uh, I leave a management team at Benefit Management uh, that I care for dearly, which had a lot to do with, with my returning and, and taking over the role as president and being willing to take on that challenge. Um but you have you have to not fight yourself on it, right? So uh, I'm a I'm a big believer. If someone else if someone leaves our company for a position they view is better, I'm excited for them. I want them them to to have that experience. If it's better for them and their family, I think that's great, and that's a genuine response for me. Not everybody responds like that, you know. And I, I grew up in the football world, and typically in the football world, people don't respond like that. So in the football world, it's really viewed more like you're deserting us. This is all about us and and them, and that's the mentality, the culture that's built around football. And and frankly, it took me a little while to realize. And that's frankly, it's a selfish mindset, is really how it is. But I want people to be successful. And I want to help them get to that point. And I think that's our role from a managerial perspective, a leadership perspective, is doing what we can to help them reach their goals. And we have to be genuine about that. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think, it is an, I think it's an obligation. I mean, you can't really call yourself a leader unless you adopt that 
mindset, meaning that I'm going to sacrifice so that you may prosper. And in the meantime, in a previous conversation that I had with another gentleman here, he kind of called me on the word sacrifice in the sense that it, it denotes this kind of pious attitude that I, I'm going without. But the reality is I'm really not sacrificing. I mean, I may, I'm sacrificing my time, my energy, my love, but in return, I get everything that I've been chasing comes back in spades, more so than I could any other way, right? And that's what you're doing. By dedicating my life so that you, your team, everybody else, the obligation that we have as leaders so that they will succeed, in return, you become that much more impactful as a human being and a, and a leader, right? And all your wants and needs get overfi- overflowing, right? overfilled. Yeah, and it's a, it's a tricky concept for people to understand. It's a dichotomy. You, right? If you take care of others, and you're genuine when you take care of others, from my experience, I've benefited 10 times from it, but my intentions were never to benefit from exactly. it. Exactly, right. If you go to it like, I'm going to add value to you because I want you to give me something in return, you're missing the boat, right? I should be approaching you to adding value and not really expecting anything in return. And then by doing that, that's what you mean about being genuine and authentic. And if I do it that way, then I'm going to get it back far more than I could ever imagine. I'll tell you the other interesting component, and we'll pivot a little bit with this, but it's the 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 concept of the flow of money is very similar to that. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in uh, you have to spend money to kind of make money, and the folks that grip it, grip money so tight – uh, that it's a limiting factor. So uh, I think all of it it plays in the same kind of mindset. Like, yeah. And everything's within reason. So you don't want to be ignorant about it and just go spend just money stupid. to spend yeah. money. But at the same time, you have to spend it to make it and you have to do the right things for people and things are going to take care of themselves. And you have to come to a place of acceptance for that, which uh, sometimes is not the most easy for people. It isn't. It's it, it, What you're talking about there is having – you know, an abundant mindset or a scarcity mindset. And I would think most of us, is living, or, or the whole of society is living in a scarcity mindset, right? And I think it's something you got to be intentional. I know for me, I have to. you got to work at it, right? Yeah, I think society creates it. I think we're programmed to it. Uh, you, have to, you have to battle a lot of things uh, in, the, in the everyday world. So I think you're, you're battling uh, Marketing and imagery um, and and the fact that what's put in front of your face and the stuff, I call it stuff, people wanting stuff, um, you know, that that's limiting. Uh, that allow, makes you grip, grip onto those type of things and try to hold it. And it's ultimately a game of control, right? So you're just controlling either money, you're trying to control a situation, and that control, the effort put into control is limiting you from the success yeah. at the end of the day. For sure. That's the scarcity mindset, right? And the abundant mindset does the exact opposite. It gives away. It gives. You know, it's the giver's gain mentality. I give, I give, I give, and in return, I gain, right? And we don't think we will because we're, we're letting it go, right? We're letting it go. But somehow the universe, I don't know how it works, but it does, you know. But I got to remind myself every day, right, because it's easy to let the ego take over. The ego kind of lives and thrives on that scarcity mindset, right, and you and, for me, it's a it's a daily battle to 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 kind of squash the ego and let go. Well, and and Richard, even if even if we're we're wrong on this, right, and we're just two crazy quacks, yeah, right, right, uh, it's a more enjoyable life, and that's reason for sure. enough for it. For sure, 
So if you're going through life and you're not, you're limiting stress, life has enough stress yeah. that comes in from a professional home environment, could potentially be financial. Even people with lots of money have financial stress. Sure. You're dealing with different types of problems. So anytime you can limit stress, what I call external stress, uh, there's there's a huge advantage to that. So mm-hmm. people ask me all the time. They're like, you know, you're running this, you're running this TPA, and you're you're doing these type of things. What what are you doing living in in Wichita, Kansas? And I'm like, well, I don't have any traffic. I don't wait in line for restaurants, and I kind of just uh, I can go at my own pace. Yeah. And there's a lot of value to that. So that may not be valuable to somebody else, but to me, I've realized I like space, and I like to kind of go at my own pace and really soak in what's going on around yeah. me. I love everything you're saying. I'm curious about your own personal habits. Like how did you, uh, all of us, um, what you're getting to, the mindset that you have, what we're talking about, there's a level of intentionality behind that, right? I know at least for me and the people that I've known and met, what are what are those levels of intentionality for you? What are those personal habits that you've kind of morphed into over the last decade or so to get you to this point? You know, uh, it's a few things. So, I've since since I can remember, I've had this uh, fear of being average. So I, yeah. I wake up in the morning terrified that I'm going to be average at really anything that I do. So I'm willing to do more. So in my mindset, if all I have to do is convince myself someone who's average would do X, I can do X plus five. And that's what I do. Um, and I put that effort in. And then what I've, I've done is I've really tried to learn from people around me who are successful. Mm-hmm. So I would I still to this day I listen uh, more than I talk, which is probably hard to believe on the show right now. <laughs> um, but I try to take the positive things. Um, one thing I've learned from successful people is successful people are very eager to tell you how they became successful, mm-hmm. so they don't have a problem with that. Uh, so take that and, and begin to piece what's going to work for me, and I try to incorporate that into my life. Um, you know, a lot of it for me has has morphed from a you know, growth to, to really getting in a position where now I've got a whole new challenge in life. I had really wrapped my arms around what I did from a sales perspective and become, you know, successful at that, which is in the eye of the beholder, but I, I think I was successful at it. Um, now in, in a, in a leadership of a, of an entire company, it's a, it's kind of drinking from a fire hose, uh, in a lot of regards and accepting that, and finding out what new normal is, and then how can I excel at this? So I'm taking the same principles that I took when I entered sales, and I'm trying to incorporate that now. Now, the end game is going to look different because the job requirements are different, but at the end of the day, the approach is going to be the same. Yeah. I love what you said about that fear of being average. I call it punching mediocrity in the face, like we shouldn't accept this mediocrity. I think that is another obligation the universe, universe kind of bestows upon us. That probably mean, again, it means something different for everybody. But I think you're right that we've kind of, um, to not accept me- mediocrity in any aspect of our lives, because um, that leads to, again, the scarcity mindset, I think, the abundant mindset. And again, this isn't just about finances and everything else. I'm talk- When I talk about abundance, it's just like the richness of life, right? And that's what mm-hmm. punching mediocrity in the face means to me. Don't Don't settle for average, right? Yeah, it's a choice. Most of life is actually just a bunch of choices. So you're making a choice in the moment to do X. And you're hoping that's the correct choice. Um, but I witness a lot of people make decisions for, for what I would view as reasons that are short term rather than taking the long term. And in society, we're instant gratification. You know, we get right. our news quicker. Uh, you know, my attention span is gone 
to hell in a lot of regards from mm-hmm. a, a movie perspective and uh, things that I love. Frankly, my attention – I notice it's more difficult because my attention span is shrinking. But at the same token, um, that makes it harder for people to to – take a more future approach to it and and what's this and stop thinking about what's it going to be for me. Right. Let's take care of other people and that's, and we're going to be fine. Like right. it's, it's going to be fine. Not the easiest thing to accept. Yeah. I love it. You're saying so many great things, things that I've talked about on the show for seven years. You're hitting so many of the high points uh, that I know that I believe passionately about on this show. As we wrap up here, what's next for you? What are you looking forward to in the next five to 10 years, both personally and professionally? You know, it's interesting from a goals perspective, you, you enter any career path, anything really in life, you kind of set goals. So I, I definitely have professional goals with regards to our company. Uh, it really has, has nothing to do with me on a personal level, uh, prof- from a personal professional level. I'm not too concerned about that, but I want, I want the company to be successful. I want it to be different than it was. Uh, I don't do stagnant well, so I don't wake up and, <laughs> and just say, Hey, if you, you know, and in fact, I told them this when we were going through the, uh, the hiring process and that, the courting process in a lot of regards, they were reaching out to me and asking me about being the president. And I said, yeah, we can talk, but ultimately I, I need some things here. And and it wasn't necessarily as much monetary as what I needed was commitment of growth. Um, and that if you want someone just to kind of take over and grow the company five to 10% their revenue every year, I'm not your guy. You can go find those guys that'll shake hands and kiss babies and do that. But if you want to take this thing and, and increase the EBITDA three times, um, over the next five to six years, that's what I'm going to go to war for. And I'll give you that period of time. And then once we get to that point, then we either set a new goal or take on a new challenge. But I'm not too concerned about those pieces because when I enter in, once the decision's made, now we're razor focused. We got to get to where we want to get from the EBITDA perspective for the company to be successful. And there's a lot of moving parts that go into that and how we do things have to be a little bit different. And uh, I think that's a challenge I'm, I'm eager to take on. Um, with regards to that, from a straight personal perspective, a, a lot of it is controlling that, right? So, uh, again, understanding who you are as a person and understanding that I'm all in, that means a lot, right? Mm-hmm. That's I'm sacrificing something to be all in. I could be on the golf course three days a week. I would enjoy that. I would be low stress with doing that. Now, that wouldn't get me going every morning. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the truth. But at the end of the day, um, I have to create a balance with inside my life with regards to my wife, Michelle, who I love very much. And, and uh, you know, she deserves time with me as well and present time. So not me thinking about the yeah, business right. while I'm in the same room and, and we're having a glass of wine. It's me actually being there mm-hmm. present, having a conversation. So uh, all that takes work. I mean, none of this happens over, overnight and any new challenge you take on, you have to you have to really lock it in and kind of focus on that. And it's more than just the task at hand. It's what you're sacrificing around you for it. Well said. Uh, So many things you hit on there. Self-awareness, intentionality, not settling for mediocrity. Um, It's not about you. It's about adding value to them, becoming an expert at something. So many high points, Dallas. What a great conversation. Um, How can people reach out, learn more about your business and get in contact with you? Oh, you know, it'd be great. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, so that's that's an easy way to grab me or... um you know, search our website, which is benefitmanagementllc.com. Can't get any more simple than that. Um, and th- there's plenty of ways to reach out to me from an email perspective. But love to hear from people. Love to love to talk to them. And I'm always happy to to share if I could be of assistance in any way. Awesome. Great conversation. Like I said, your perfect example I talk about on this show, that combination of having an indomitable spirit coupled with a humble, teachable spirit, that makes for a rock-solid, unstoppable leader. And I think you got it in spades. Thanks for coming on the show, Dallas. I appreciate it, Richard. 
Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series of Dose of Leadership brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Make sure to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts, all of my episodes, and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day.